When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What are you doing this Friday? Maybe an after-work drink with a colleague in Kennedy's? A whiskey tasting upstairs in the palace? Or just going for a quiet pint while you read a book? Well, you can now, but up to only a few years ago, it was illegal to serve alcohol in a pub in Ireland on Good Friday. This is the story of how the law came to be passed and then repealed, and how the country dealt with the ban in the meantime. Welcome to Publin, a podcast about the culture, history and heritage of pubs at home and abroad. Good Friday has never been a public holiday in Ireland, though many companies have given it off to their workers as a tradition. For most, it's just like any other day, and unlike other bank holidays, there's no change to licensing laws for pubs. But this was not always the case. Until 2018, it was illegal for pubs to serve so much as a drop of alcohol on Good Friday. They couldn't sell it, they couldn't give it away, and there was no workaround for your average pub or publican. For most, they just had to shut the doors and take the day off. Well, theoretically, anyway. So think about that. A seemingly fairly regular Friday in Ireland, pubs couldn't serve alcohol. The thoughts of it. The law prohibiting the sale of alcohol dates back to the Intoxicating Liquor Act of 1927 that laid down the law in terms of what times pubs could open at regularly and what days they remained closed. Interestingly, the closure days were Christmas Day, that's not a regular, Good Friday, which we now know, and more surprisingly still, St. Patrick's Day. That's correct. From 1927 until 1960, alcohol was not permitted to be sold on St. Patrick's Day, a day that is now known worldwide as a monumental piss-up. Presumably, our American cousins kept the tradition of St. Patrick's Day as a drinking holiday going until the prohibition was lifted in Ireland. 
As with most forms of prohibition in Ireland, these enforced closures and other kinks of the law were religiously motivated. The government, influenced by the church at the time, were trying to enforce piety as well as sobriety upon the people. No greater example of this was the so-called Holy Hour, when pubs had to shut for a few hours on Sunday to observe a degree of respect for mass that was going on at the same time and also allowed people an opportunity, theoretically at least, to go to mass while the pub was shut. In reality, people simply waited around for the pubs to reopen an hour or two later. Or, if you were in the know, you might have been included in the lock-in of the regulars. Up until recently, there were many annual traditions relating to Good Friday and the drink ban. Some of these would include the ritual texts to remind friends that pubs were closed on Friday and to not make plans or make other arrangements. The raiding of alcohol supplies from one's own house, such as bottles of rightly undrank ouzo from a holiday in Crete years previous. Annual house parties on that date became a tradition for those who had stocked up in advance and were prepared to make their own fun outside of the pub. Speaking of stocking up, another yearly tradition was the pilgrimage to the off-licence the night before Good Friday to buy booze like they weren't making it anymore. I worked in a local off-licence as a teenager, and the Thursday before Good Friday was always one of the busiest days of the year, rivaling the lead-up to Christmas in terms of sales and sheer volume of panic buying of booze. On Good Friday itself, TV and radio channels could always rely on the old staple piece of content – the interview with the mystified British tourist who'd come to Temple Bar to drink the weekend away. Obviously, it wasn't put in any of the guidebooks or advertising material that if you came to Dublin on Good Friday looking for the kind of night out the city is famous for, you were in for a rude awakening. There wouldn't be a drop to be had legally in the city unless you were visiting a pal who had a stock and was willing to share. The wandering, bemused tourist is a sight that was all too familiar on Good Fridays of old, and while it was actually mildly amusing, I'm sure everyone is a good deal happier with the current situation. It wasn't just the Friday that was affected, either. People were usually caught off guard in late bars on the Thursday prior to Good Friday, when the pubs would have to stop serving at the regular pub trading hours of 11.30pm, giving people half an hour of drinking uptime. The horror of it. But surely you say there must have been some way of getting around the law, with some constructive interpretation of the law, or downright ignoring it. Well, you'd be right about that. There were some loopholes written into the law, and as we'll find out later, there were plenty of publicans around the country who weren't averse to allowing in a few people to drink as normal. One of the most popular articles on the Publin website every year in the month of April was always Seven Ways to Get Around the Good Friday Drinks Ban. These were loopholes that could be availed of by those in the know. If you'd come over for a stag weekend from Leeds and were caught off guard by the prohibition, then my list was there to save you. Here are some of the options that were available to you. You could go to a pub in a train station. As it's an antiquated law, so too does it have antiquated solutions. The law presumes that weary travellers would be in need of refreshment and that it would be unfair to deny them this while in transit. So, pubs and train stations could legally serve alcohol to people, but only if they had an intercity train ticket. That doesn't mean you could buy a dart ticket for three quid and then drink away. Your ticket had to be for somewhere a little further afield, like Waterford or Drogheda. So long as you held that magic ticket, you could drink to your heart's content. Sporting events being held on Good Friday could avail of an exemption. Every now and then a rugby match would be played on the date and alcohol could be served inside the stadium. More regularly though, greyhound racing was considered a sport under the law and so people could get tickets for Harold's Cross Dog Track and drink there. 
The next one technically means you're leaving the state's jurisdiction, but you could get served alcohol on a ferry to Holyhead, even in Irish waters, and just go to Wales and back for the day. It's a long way to go, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Similarly to the train station, you could also just buy a cheap flight abroad, go through security, not get on the flight, and sit in one of the many airport bars all day. Maybe a waste of the price of the ticket, but it would have been a more viable option when Ryanair were doing really cheap flights in years gone by. Residents in a hotel bar could have a drink accompanying a meal. How long it takes someone to finish a meal is not defined by law, so you would have been safe to continually consume alcohol, so long as you were a slow diner. There were a few exemptions that once existed that were then clamped down upon. At the stroke of midnight after Good Friday, pubs with late licences could open from then until 2.30am. So if you timed your house party just right, you could finish the night off in a licensed premises. Theatre bars used to have exemptions as well, and it was an annual tradition for the Gaiety Bar to open and stay open late. Military canteens usually served alcohol and would have been able to serve at one point. I'm sure many people enlisted just for this Good Friday perk, only to have it snatched away from them. Restaurants were once permitted to allow a bring-your-own policy, but that wasn't within the spirit of the law and was so clamped down upon. Going through the archives, one of the bigger exemptions granted to entire towns was if there was a market fair happening, usually related to the auctioning of livestock. We found instances in Castle Derg in 1959 and Belique in 1965, where people organising a fair submitted a request for the pubs of those towns to be granted a licence to trade on Good Friday, owing to the fact that a market was taking place, and there was little problem with the licences being granted. Had that option remained into the 90s and 2000s, I can imagine a lot of people suddenly taking an interest in the price of a heifer and making for a rural market town in Monaghan or Leash. So those were all the legal and creative avenues open to people, but what about those publicans who decided to serve anyway? And just when did this all come to an end? Well, we'll find out in just a minute. By far the most entertaining element of the consequences of this prohibition are the court and newspaper records from over the years relating to publicans breaking the ban and serving people. From all four provinces of Ireland and every town, major and minor, there are a litany of reports of Gardaí entering pubs and finding people consuming alcohol. Report after report after report of Gardaí entering the building being told some manner of lies, and then finding people hiding here, there, and everywhere. Each case would usually result in a prosecution, but a fairly small fine. Take, for example, this case in Nina, County Tipperary, on Good Friday, 1976. Before a judge was a publican named... Uh, actually, no, I won't name him, just to be sound. Here follows the account of a curious Garda who is admitted to the pub. There were two men in the pool room, and one of them was drinking a pint of stout, and the licensee said that he didn't know how the man got the pint. He said that he was not aware that these people were in his premises because, as it transpired, his son let people in. He told his son, who was a teenager, that he was not to admit anyone onto the premises while he was away. The publican said that he didn't see anyone in the premises when he arrived back because he went through a private door and up the stairs without looking into the public part of the premises. 
It wasn't just the publican who was in a bit of bother with the law. Those found on the premises were also in trouble. The Garda related the story of a woman who he believed had given a false name. In reply to the justice, the sergeant said that the woman in question said that she lived in Dublin. She came up to him and flung her arms around his neck. O'Mara, the solicitor present, said, An amorous situation. You're a good-looking fellow, you know. The sergeant told Mr. O'Mara that he didn't remember the woman performing a dance on the floor, but she was obviously drunk. The publican made no comment and made no effort to deal with the situation. In the end, he added, he did push the woman out of the premises. The guarder said that the woman was shouting obscenities and was very drunk. So drunk that she was dribbling from the mouth, he added. He continued, I don't know where she got the drink, but she certainly got enough of it. The justice said to the guarder in closing, I'm sure that you have been advised of the peril he will be in if he transgresses again. There is an innate vulgarity in all of us, and it obviously manifested itself in a number of people in Boris O'Kane that night. I'm sure the son of the publican was well remunerated by the father for dropping the blame on him with the courts. Hopefully he inherited the pub. The pub was so clearly full that there was no point in hiding. However, other congregations were more modest and covert, such as this account from a Limerick pub in 1978. The inspector said the Gardaí were admitted to the premises by a barman who was in charge. The man said his brother was on the premises. Two men were found who had no drinks and the man's wife said that these two were entitled to be there. The Gardaí then went to the store and they found the door being held against them when they tried to enter, but it was opened after the Gardaí issued the ultimatum. There were two men at the store. They also found a ladder which was leading to a loft where two more were found. The inspector said they sought refuge there. I'm sure it was all an innocent game of hide and seek. I'm sure you get the picture and that's probably enough of these stories. Alright, one more. This one's from the town of Manor Hamilton, County Leitrim, in 1980. When Gardy knocked at the door of a licensed premises in Manor Hamilton on Good Friday, there was, quote, a fierce commotion, end quote, inside, and after they were admitted, the guards discovered nobody in the bar, although there were a number of men in the kitchen and in the upstairs bedrooms. The publican told the court he was in bed at the time of the offence, 11.05pm, and he had not given permission for anybody to be on the premises. He had awoken to find a number of men in his bedroom. The Garda who arrived at the incident described being allowed in after knocking and shouting Garda on duty. At 11.05pm, the door of the public bar was opened by the wife of the licensee who said there was nobody on the premises. The witness asked her to admit the two guardy at the rear door and as he followed her, he found a man in the corridor. There was nobody in the bar and she said there was nobody else on the premises. The guarda informed her he intended to search the building. He went on to the kitchen where he found three men. One of them said he was visiting the licensee. Another said he had called to fix the shelves. And the third stated he was there to fix a suit. Upstairs, in the licensee's bedroom, there were four men, and the licensee, who was in bed, apparently sick. The men said they had called to see the licensee. The guarda returned to the bar and asked the licensee's wife to account for the men found on the premises. She replied, What can I say? There were no glasses visible on the bar counter, but there were six empty glasses, which apparently had just been freshly poured behind the counter. The licensee maintained that he had gone to bed at 7pm that evening as he was feeling unwell. He had no knowledge of there being anybody on the premises. He was asleep at the time the men came into his room. He had not arranged for anyone to come and fix a suit for him. The judge fined the publican £2 and £3 for each of the seven people found in the premises. Imagine that, getting fined for staying in bed sick or for trying to fix someone's suit. It's a world gone mad.
So I think those cases give you a bit of a flavour of how seriously the law was taken in Ireland, or how big a transgression it was to serve alcohol on Good Friday. Another pub was so brazen about it that they opened their pub for trading while located next door to a Garda station. There would be frequent public discussion over the years about what a folly the ban was, but these discussions would only really happen in the lead-up to Good Friday and fall away just after. Even a Wicklow priest in 1993 during a sermon discussed the Good Friday ban and labelled it outdated. In 1998, a decent push was made by the Labour Party to get the ban changed and there seemed to be some confidence that, that would be the end of it. However, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil both voted against the motion and it was on the back burner once more. Jump forward to 2010, when a group of Munster publicans launched a legal challenge to be able to open on Good Friday, when a Munster rugby match was being held. This was termed in the papers, the Good Friday Disagreement. They cited the loss of trade and loss to the local economy in the millions. An exemption was granted, and the writing was now on the wall for the Intoxicating Liquor Act of 1927. In subsequent years, pubs began to open, but just to serve food, and perhaps make a political point that they wanted to trade, and didn't see the day as an opportunity to paint the pub or make some cosmetic changes or fixes to the place. In January of 2018, changes were made to the law, and the door was opened for pubs to trade legally and as normal for the first time in 91 years. There was much fanfare made of the fact that pubs would be opened for the first time, and it became somewhat of an international news story in the build-up. With the opening of the pubs, there would also be an opportunity who, on this historic day, would be afforded the opportunity to be the first person to drink a legal pint on Good Friday. I'll spare you the suspense and tell you that it was me. I conspired with Hugh Hurricane, the owner of the Boar's Head pub on Capel Street, to serve me the first legal pint of the day. The Boar's Head has one of the few early house licences, which allows the pub on weekdays to open as early as 7am. So at 7am, I walked in, and who had the pint ready and waiting to go. My lips touched the glass and history was made. From the comfort of the bar stool, I did interviews with a French radio station, BBC Scotland, BBC Northern Ireland and the BBC World Service. For one day, that was the most famous pint in the world. The first pint was followed by a few more and then I went back to bed. Later that same evening, myself and my good friend Leeshuk organised the first ever Good Friday pub crawl taking in a few pubs around town and telling the story about the prohibition that I'm telling you now. We of course included the Boar's Head, a location of the first legally poured and consumed pint. That pub crawl had the distinction of being called out and publicly shamed by a member of Ireland's parliament, the Doll, for seizing the opportunity and being, in her eyes, a bit shameless. The TD, Maureen O'Sullivan, had qualms about the overturning of the legislation, not for religious reasons, but because of the message it sent relating to Ireland's public relationship with alcohol. Not an unfair point. And in fairness to Deputy O'Sullivan, she had assumed that our pub tour was a giant piss-up and not more of a walking tour, which is what it was. Unfortunately, she made the comments on radio rather than in the chamber, so our pub crawl did not go down in the official record. It's my only regret in life. So there we have it, a strange quirk of Irish law that wasn't obeyed too strictly. It afforded people in Ireland an opportunity for one day a year to get a bit creative with how they had a drink. In some ways, you'd miss the fun surrounding it. I think this year, in celebration, a return visit to the Boar's Head is in order but maybe not at 7am. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Publin Podcast. That is the last episode of Series 2, but don't fear, I'm only taking a two-week break. I'll be back again with more weekly content.
Do you have memories of getting the train or organising a party on Good Friday? You can let me know about that or generally get in touch with me, John, via publinie at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and to this series, and I'll be talking to you again soon. Have a great Good Friday, and as always, sláinte. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 